Welcome to the War Room. Ryan here, as always. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like this show, could you share it with a friend, family, coworker, whoever that you might think enjoys this podcast today? We'd really appreciate it. Mike, welcome to the War Room. Thank you. Okay, so you have a book out called The 14th Colony. Now, um, I often remind the guests and listeners on the show that I am a high school graduate, not a college graduate. So I'm only aware, I thought there was 13, but there's 14 apparently. So what have we missed? Well, there's actually more than 14. Okay, see, um, don't, don't, don't maybe look bad, Mike. <laughs> we'll make it even more complicated for you. Okay. Um, so the, 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 the real deal on why we use the term 14 is simply because when we discuss early America, we're so used to that term for uh, 13. We're so familiar with that. We know 13 colonies on and on that when you say anything more than that, it makes you get your attention. You say, wait, what are you talking about? There's more than 13. So the colony that I'm referring to, British West Florida, um, was one of, of several other colonies that the British maintained in North America and the Caribbean at the time that were not part of the rebellion. Now, in continental North America and what became the United States, British West Florida was founded at the exact same time as East Florida. So those colonies came in together. And I wrote a book about West Florida. So technically, either could claim to be the 14th colony, but there are several other places that have used that term in their history. I know that there's a book about Nova Scotia um, and all these other places. And that term has been used so much that it's not, not even worth rehashing all the ways it's been thrown around. But I chose the term to indicate that this was a legitimate, full-fledged British colony, and it was extra to the 13 you know about. And um, without literally saying it was literally the 14th to be founded, but I want to communicate the fact all, off the bat that this is not a some other miscellaneous province. This is a colony. It's fully a part of the British Empire as Massachusetts and Virginia and all that. And it is in addition to the 13 that you're familiar with. So it's a little bit of just just um, information to begin the conversation rather than a literal uh, sequential order of founding. Okay, well, let's go back to that whole there's more than 14 just for half a second here. So I think I understand you're honing in on this area, but I mean, is there a a definitive number of how many colonies there were? Is it kind of debated? You mentioned Nova Scotia. So what kind of range of numbers are we talking about here? Um, We're talking about up to around 21 or 22. Um, If you count British um, colonial entities in the Caribbean and you count Canada, which, of course, in terms of founding the founding of America, we, we very rarely do that because we look at what became the United States. So if you look at what became the United States and mm-hmm. the colonies that were then under the British Empire that chose to rebel, you've got the 13 that we're familiar with. But um, you would have had to have uh, you would have had to include in that area British East and West Florida. So 15 is the number for what we know now is the United States. The others that are British colonies that were not part of this rebellion, but might have been, um, were in Canada and the Caribbean. So that's where you get the over 20 number. But just in what became the United States, it's truly uh, 15 would be the number that you'd be looking at. So so that's where uh, West Florida figures in. Okay. And so if I'm understanding you correctly, 
um, and we can talk about the the time period here that, that's in question. But are you saying that if you went back and time traveled and you walked around, they would talk fourteen, fifteen? They would talk in these numbers, or is this something that at the time they didn't really they didn't really think about? And now you're kind of going back and unpacking. This is more of how it should have been considered. Yeah, I I, I think I don't think they would have used the same sort of numbers uh, until we get to the revolution. Um, and, and you had 13 that, that worked together, um, you know, collaboratively, let's say, to to make this bid for independence. That's the first time that you really end up with people being aware of a certain number in a certain region because everybody at that point, and to make it real simple, would have identified with where they were living and everything was a British possession, and they didn't really care how many of these individual colonies because there was no collaboration and no intent to do something different until we get to the revolutionary era among these 13 seaboard colonies that began to make a concerted effort to establish their own country. And that's the first time that you really have that number in mind. And, and even then, uh, that that I'm not sure that that number would have been as significant to people on the ground as it became after. Um, they 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 saw themselves more or less as aligned with this effort to establish a nation or not, and uh, we end up with with this this after the fact significance in numbers that that uh, I just don't think they would have had a normal conversation. Uh, let's say that way, there would have been awareness um, uh, that there was a certain number, but I doubt. Many people on the ground would have automatically known the number of British colonies in North America anyway. So I think a lot of that, the significance of those numbers comes during and after the revolution when those 13 colonies that chose to rebel tried to work together to form their own government. I think that's where we get to this this significance of this number that's just ingrained in everything we know about the revolution. Okay. And so what is, you said, West Florida what is, I'm looking at obviously a map of the book, but what is maybe for people listening, a good ge- modern day geographical description of this area that you're talking about? Sure. Um, we're talking parts of four southern states, um, Louisiana, part of Louisiana, South Alabama and South Mississippi, and part of the panhandle of Florida. So you're talking about a colony that in its fullest extent, because it was founded and then they expanded the borders the next year. So in its fullest extent, West Florida would have stretched from the Mississippi River to the Chattahoochee, which is the border between Alabama and Georgia, down to the Gulf and up to a northern point of that's basically half of Mississippi and, and, and Alabama. So if you have any idea where Jackson, Mississippi, Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, Columbus, Georgia, Montgomery, Alabama, along that line, about midway in, in those modern states, that was the northern extent of the boundary. So in its fullest extent, West Florida incorporated that entire area. So I am, I live in Texas now, but I'm from Louisiana originally, the northern part of the state, so not not this area. And if I remember my Louisiana history on some level, you have some Spanish involvement, some French involvement. You kind of have a real hodgepodge that the the uh, the Cajuns come down from Canada. So when did was this part of the, this the Louisiana aspect? Was this does this act removed at some point? Um, yeah, but the Louisiana Purchase, which obviously incorporates a ton of uh, the U.S. Like how, when did this transfer out of British hands? 
Okay, um, Bridgewest, Florida was founded um, by uh, a proclamation after the Seven Years' War in 1763. That's when they first established it, and then they moved that northern border up from the 31st parallel, which is the, the border between um, part of Louisiana and Mississippi today, part of Alabama and the Florida Panhandle, that line. So they moved that border up the next year. It remained in British hands under those boundaries until the conflicts with Galvez and his Spanish army that came and conquered essentially British West Florida, took it for their own. Uh, and that was in 1781. The Treaty of Paris, which ended the American Revolution, uh, formally recognized for the first time that that southern boundary w between the new United States would, instead of being a British colony, would be, would be the border of Spanish West Florida because Spain had conquered it. Um, during during the revolution, so um, it it would it would remain a Spanish colony until it was piecemeal divided into other states as different events occurred. The first sort of loss of territory acquisition is when the United States pressured Spain to move its northern boundary of West Florida down from the. The 32nd parallel, which is that midpoint of Alabama, Mississippi, the United States forced them to move that border back down to the 31st parallel, which was the original boundary. That was the first loss of territory, and the United States took over that, annexed it as the Mississippi Territory. Eventually, that leads to the states of Alabama and Mississippi. So that's the first loss of territory. Spain's still trying to hold on to this colony as, as its own um, administration. As, a, as the colony of Spanish West Florida at that point. And by 1810, well, you being from Louisiana, you're, you're probably familiar with the West Florida Rebellion and, and, and the attempt to establish a, whole, a unique entity there in, in southeastern Louisiana. Well, when American settlers sort of captured the fort at Baton Rouge in 1810, tried to set up their own republic. It was very quickly annexed into the Orleans Territory, which became the state of Louisiana just a year later, um, that was the first loss of territory in, in, in what was below the 31st parallel. Then there's a huge chunk of the territory that gets captured by the United States during the War of 1812. And the part that gets captured stretches from basically the Mississippi coast over to what is now the Alabama coast. That's annexed into the Mississippi territory and, and eventually becomes part of the states of Alabama and Mississippi. So that's that's a, a third huge loss of territory. At that point, the Spanish were clinging to what left was left of, of West Florida, and that was stretching from basically the Alabama border, which is the Perdido River with Florida, and from there over to the Apalachicola, which is where the Chattahoochee empties. Uh, it, it, Chattahoochee and Flint come together at the Florida border and becomes the Apalachicola River. So that little stretch of West Florida, which which uh, was the easternmost stretch of it under the British, that was all that was left under Spanish control by, uh, by 1813. And uh, within, uh, what, uh, six years, five years, you know, Andrew Jackson went over during the first Seminole War, captured Pensacola. Within a year, Spain is at the negotiating table, and they're handing over to the United States through the Adams and East Treaty what's left of, of West Florida. So between... That, that first treaty that, that relinquished some control uh, to the United States in 1795, where they moved south to the 31st parallel, 
between 1795 and 1819, bits and pieces of the colony of West Florida are annexed into what became Louisiana first, then the Mississippi Territory, which becomes the two states of Alabama and Mississippi, and then lastly, the last remaining section was annexed into Florida after the Adams-O'Neill Treaty, which was signed in 1819. Okay, so let me make sure I got these dates right. 1763 is the founding. 1781 is when it basically comes to an end because it's, it's taken over on some level. And so it, it starts pre-Revolutionary War, but during the Revolutionary War period, it, it loses its its status. And so... Uh, yeah, the British basically lost it. Spain, Spain um, decided to to mount military campaign, a significant one, and a prolonged one, to conquer the territory. Uh, so, you know, the United States fighting for its independence with Great Britain. France was allied with the United States. Spain didn't like England and was had traditionally been allies with, with France on a lot of things in recent years. So France is trying to pull them into the war, saying, you know, we've got a common enemy here. Why don't you help us out? And so Spain eventually decided to join them, but they never joined as an ally of the United States. What they did was they joined as uh, in, 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 in a similar respect, but what they did is they declared war on Great Britain. So they, 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 they were not officially helping the United States, but the effect was the same. Because if, if Great Britain's having to fight a war on more than one front, then that's all the United States could ask for. So Spain, to settle scores on its own about territory it had lost uh, during the Seven Years' War, and to help its ally France, uh, was taking advantage of a distracted rival. And the Spanish owned Louisiana at this time, the colony of Louisiana, which is basically New Orleans and everything west of the Mississippi that, that was originally a Spanish possession. That is, that's this huge midsection of the continent of a colony they called Louisiana. And so they, that's where they're based. And so right across the river is this British possession. And this all, is all caught up with this war that Great Britain is fighting. And Spain realizes Great Britain is very distracted. They're probably not going to have the resources to come and send what they really need to take care of the colony. And so they plan a preemptive strike. We'll get to the details of the battles, I'm sure. But in, the, in a nutshell, they began a military campaign. They captured British post. And after three years of war, they had captured every single British post in West Florida. And they owned West Florida. And so it became Spanish West Florida. And that that the United States recognized that after the treaty that ended the Revolutionary War, they formally recognized and came to terms with the fact that there was no longer a British colony on their south. It was now Spanish, and they 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 recognized that as part of the borders of the new United States. So the Brits are fighting. I'll say us. I got my America hat on today. We're fighting the Brits. Yeah. I got a I got a few yeah. British listeners, so I like, like poke at them. So the Brits are, are fighting us in the, in the 13 colonies as we, as we think about it. Spain says, I'm not really wanting to get into that kerfuffle, but I want to stick it to the Brits as well. Um, and France kind of ag, uh, eggs them on to kind of get involved. And so they say, you know what? We like the beach. Florida's got good beaches. We're going to go down there uh, and we're going to we're going to fight that. And so from the colony standpoint, 
this part of Florida wasn't in the Revolutionary War, I'm guessing, for some reason. So for them to lose it to Spain was not a loss because they weren't part of the major effort or what so why did they not join up with the with the band if you will okay well why did west florida not participate in the war that's that's a good good question um first of all let me tell you what it's not uh because the few times this colony is mentioned in history books and it's surprising how how few times it's mentioned um a lot of times they'll just say well it was a loyal colony and and so they weren't going to take up arms against the British government. And that is a, a technical truth, but it's not telling you the whole story on the ground. The whole story on the ground is that the people in West Florida, which was a brand new colony had been in existence just over a decade, um, had very little regular, if any regular contact with other colonies that we, we tend to think of everything in what became the United States as this inter, intermingled uh, collaborative effort and, and and the truth is they saw themselves as citizens of british west florida they heard piecemeal what was happening on the east coast there was not regular news arriving and they frankly and to to make it put in terms we can understand thought of it as somebody else's problem they they thought of it as a local concern and could see no reason whatsoever why when the continental congress extended them an invitation to participate in this 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 effort this rebellion uh, it made no sense to the people in West Florida, not because they just love the British government, but because they're a brand new colony. They need every bit of resources they can get from the British. Um, and and so the, you know, the, they're caught up in just trying to make a living on what the, to them um, is the far flung outskirts of civilization. We, we think of the Gulf Coast now as a vacation area. But this is this is a frontier to these people. It's sparsely settled. Uh, there's there's uh, no newspapers, very few roads. People are struggling to make a living, and they hear that there's this uproar of, from these more well-established colonies that have been around some for over a century on the East Coast that they have almost nothing to do with. And so they're like, no, we're, we're not going to risk everything and try to fight the British government. They're, they're, they're helping make this thing a go. We're, we need all their support. And so it wasn't so much political as and philosophical as as just simple you know down to earth economics they they are just not caught up in the same concerns that some of these east coast colonies are they're not as developed um they 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 don't have the same economic base they don't have the same concerns and so when all this came about they just again I'm simplifying it but they just wanted to be left alone to 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 make a living let them sort out whatever their problems were because there was no sense of a collaborative effort. Uh, the, the Gulf Coast colonies, especially West Florida, felt that they were on the ragged edge of the British Empire. And, and, and they, there was not this, this spirit of, of uh, togetherness with the East Coast colonies. And it all goes back to the fact that they just realized how young the colony actually was and how that entire area, when we discovered the boundaries, had a population of maybe 5,000 people. So th this is not a place that's ripe to join into this rebellion. Give them maybe 25 years, maybe sentiments would have changed, but it caught them at a time when they're very much trying to develop a colony, not looking to establish their own government. Yeah, and if you've been along that part of the U.S. and you go to the beaches, obviously they're, they're beautiful now, but if you go in, you know, just a few miles, there's a lot of wet stuff there. 
that we've kind of been able to navigate with bridges yeah. and roads and things we don't think about, but it's, it's, it's quite swampy. That whole area is, is, uh, and so it, when you think about uh, the, the tongue and cheek joke about being the beaches is that it's actually, I can imagine in 1763, 1764, it's a tough place to make a living, um, and to get your footing because you kind of got to go up North. It's hot, it's humid. Um, depending on, I don't know what kind of agriculture is. I know, I know in some of the spots they can grow some ag down there, but, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not the paradise we think of it today. So it, it, it is a completely different thing. It's probably a long slog for them to kind of get going. So I can, that makes, that actually makes a lot of sense as you, as you talk about it. And then also the connectivity um, to the other colonies. So if the, if they'd only been there a few years and they didn't come from other colonies, they were far more, British citizens than they were the colonies who had been here a hundred years, multiple generations, people who have never been to Britain. So it's a, it's a completely different feel, which I, if I, if I, if I'm following what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're right. Oh, um, they, they were, um, the best agricultural land was in the interior, the, 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 the Gulf coast where the beaches are. And we think of the Gulf coast today and it's a beautiful place, but it was one of the worst spots you could pick if you want to make, make a living off of agriculture this is not yeah. this is not part of the, the cotton south and all this stuff that would rise later this is this is not the best soil the best soil is in the interior and they're in the very beginnings of trying to develop an agricultural colony that's going to be very rural very spread out and and so th- this this seemed as a as this crazy idea to risk everything that they were trying to establish to basically fight a fight for somebody else because they didn't have the same grievances so there, there's a lot of this that gets that's technically true about loyalty, but you've got to understand the situation on the ground. And, and and the situation is this is this is a dream at the moment. This is not a thriving colony by any means. It's very much in its early stages, and they they assumed that whatever was happening with the other colonies would probably take its own route, its own course, its own conclusions, and they just hoped that it it would it would miss them. Now, there were certainly a few people a handful, a very small amount, who who had some extreme views on either side. So I'm not saying every single person had this idea, but by and large, that's probably the easiest way to understand it. Yeah, and we've we've pounded that drum on this show many times, but we'll we'll say it one more time, which is when you're talking about history, take something like the the Civil War, you, you you're talking about large arch trends. It doesn't mean that every person in every conflict in the Civil War that we could understand what they thought, how they felt, what they would have thought about so it's it's a it's a i mean it's five thousand people which is not a lot but still trying to get the the feel of every person and how they thought about it what they thought was best is it's impossible so you're, you're trying to you're trying to figure out okay what were they saying what can we figure out you know and, and what seems to be mo- most likely how so by the time the war starts um they they weren't willing to fight for the british i guess or, or were they asked to um that's a that's an interesting question um the the county of West Florida officially hoped to stay neutral uh, in 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 the war, and so they had assumed though that should the colony ever be directly threatened by either American forces or their neighbors to the west, the Spanish, which of course it was threatened by both of them um, at different points in the war, especially the Spanish. Um, they they had this naive assumption that. Locals would sort of rally to arms to if they said your homes are under threat, you know, the traditional, you know, come out and serve, serve yourselves and serve the government. And they found that that 
when threats did appear that people were very reluctant to get involved in either way. Uh, there's a British general that I quote in the book. I can't remember the exact wording, but he said something to the effect of, you know, we can't get anything from these people. They don't they don't hate the British government. They just don't want to be involved in what we're asking to be involved in. They don't they don't see the same crisis we do. Uh, and so that that was that would probably be characteristic of a lot of people there. And again, you just have to go back and realize how isolated, how different this area was, how brand new it was. And, and what a lack of a, of a sense of community that, that in general it had compared to these other well-established colonies. And so they weren't really prepared to jump on board on either side. And, and again, some of that, some of that, there is certainly some, a few people that had some philosophical thoughts about all that, but, but by and large, these are families out in rural areas, just trying to make a living. And, 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 they lived in a world with lots of political intrigue that was going on all the time. And to, I don't think that if you would have asked the average West Florida citizen that they understood the in the way that we do today, what uh, what what we we have understood the revolution to be all about and what was at stake and what the precedent it would set for liberty and all these. I don't think that they would have had any grasp of of just the significance that we attract attribute to it today because they lived in a world where things like this and political unrest was happening all over the place and they probably understood it as a much more short-lived sort of affair that just didn't seem worth getting involved in and even when they had the opportunity to help their own government they were a little bit reluctant to do that too so so they, they were equal offenders about <laughs> not joining a cause well yeah I'm and as you've described this, it, it does make a, it does, I can see that point, which is if you are struggling um, and you think it might be short-lived, I'm not sure what their confidence level was that the colonies would be successful, but you, you know, you're, you're trying to make a go of it and it's tough. Okay. If they lose, well, now you've done hacked off the Brits. <laughs> if the crown's not going to support you and you're down here struggling on the flip side, you know, is it worth you got 5,000 people? Is it worth taking up arms and going fighting the colonies? And if you take catastrophic losses and they come and invade you, you've lost that too. And so, you know, just trying to trying to make a dollar, then I mean, whatever they call it, man, <laughs> grow a crop at the end of the day, it seems to be a quite viable option for these people. What so we've heard, you know, from the colonies, you know, you kind of hear the history of some of the difficulties they face. We touched on it a minute ago. What were some of the difficulties they faced? Was there uh, natives that they would come across? What, I mean, obviously, there's swamps, gators, stuff like that. I'm sure bears, potentially. I, I don't know, disease. What were some of the this the on-the-ground realities, aside from the toughness to grow the crops that they would face? Um, well, the economic hurdles are that you're trying to enter into markets that you don't have an established presence. So you've got to gain access to world markets to make a living and in, in, in the, in the types of crops that the British were touting as potential in the area. And it certainly had a potential for it. So they, they tried, they tried um, indigo and, and tobacco, all the things that were making money at the time. It was a, it was a slow start. A lot of people were making, making ends meet by, by harvesting the abundant standard stands of timber in the area, uh, herding cattle and hogs and all the things that people need for daily sustenance but the the hurdles were, were far beyond just economic you, you're in a new environment where you've got to literally carve out a place for yourself in the wilderness and, and bring fields under cultivation that had never been under cultivation so there's a significant amount of labor and there's transportation to get things to markets 
Um, there's the unreliability of, of the sailing vessels that would connect you to these world markets. There's not very many regularly scheduled visits where it's easy to, to take a crop that has a shelf life of a certain length of time and reliably transport it in good shape. And so there's all of these logistical hurdles. And then you're, you're dealing with the fact that you're in a new climate and, and, and the mosquito and things like that, hurricanes and mosquitoes and and a growing season and, see, and weather patterns that you might not have had as much familiarity with, all these things are making a life um, a, a bit of a challenge to get things started. It took it was a learning curve, as, as any new son would have to go through. And they're right in the middle of all this when the revolution hits. And uh, the, and you throw in the, into the mix that the best land to make the most production on the crops that would make the most money are not right on the coast where the, the original settlements were. So it's a colony that's very much figuring out how it's going to move forward. And they were making progress on that regard. But it was, it was if you look at it within its first decade, you give them three or four decades, they would have probably had a pretty firm footing. But but it, it, the revolution called them literally where most of them had, had been there less than a decade. They just established a government. They just began to make the make sense of the way forward for the colony and how it could actually work. And 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 then you've got this 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 cataclysmic war that breaks out, and so it catches them at a point in time in their development when they are are, are really really just learning the ropes and really vulnerable. And I'm I'm simplifying this, sure. of course, but this is a new place, and they're dealing with all these these disadvantages. And the path to fame and fortune and wealth and security and stability, um, it takes a while. And, and, and they had not quite gotten to that point yet. And so that's sort of in a nutshell where West Florida was and the disadvantages they were laboring under when the revolution broke out. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you mentioned the ships. I didn't know if they had any kind of Navy or what kind of ships. Because when you leave there, it's a long, I don't know how many days it takes to get around uh, get around Florida, but it, it's it's not a short trip. So, um, what kind of naval capacity did they have? Very limited. Um, there was supposed to be a British naval packet that would bring news and and other correspondence and 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 a way to could initiate some some trade between and correspondence with other colonies that it was supposed to happen at a certain interval and it just never did. So you would go months with no official government ship arriving at a port. Um, everything was based on the private companies that might be trading with your facility that might have a market for whatever was being produced there in New York or, or, or Jamaica or wherever it was. And so you end up with this, this hodgepodge of a communication network that was, that was again, remember the colony had just been founded. It wasn't like they walked in and had this, this well-established, trading pattern with all these partners just ready to roll. These are things that have to be built and it takes months to get information from uh, from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. And just just to get a contract together for, for crops would take you over half a year. So you you, you kind of do the math and you realize that this is this is a place that is just beginning to enter into that sort of stability. And, and it, so it's 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 a it, it's a place that has a lot of difficulties they're trying to overcome, and the logistical part and the communication is is one. 
um, and and they really no continental no no uh, British naval presence to speak of at first. There there's a few isolated British small sloops that were in operation, um, and and there was one that was stationed on the Lake Pontchartrain and all, but the, it, 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 it's, it's nothing at all like the naval presence that you have in the more established eastern seaboard. Uh, and and it, because it's never quite the same theater of, of action in the war as, as there are elsewhere, and, and you're not dealing with air national forces in the same way, you just you never get to that point. You end up with some of the, the um, during the revolution, there were a few privateers operating off the coast, and there was a few... Um, smaller British vessels and a few smaller Spanish vessels, but the naval um, component of what's going on here, uh, that was not developed any more than their other transportation networks. Mm. And so coming there in 1763, um, were they aware of any of the complaints that, that, that the colonies, the other colonies had or any colonies in general about, um, about the, about the kingdom or were they kind of, you know, the, the loyalists who had the kind of rosy eyes and they went out there. So when they left, like what made them want to leave? And then had they had heard some of the grumblings? Um, there's evidence that some had heard some of the grumblings, like the Stamp Act um, shows up as uh, something that the, the governor of West Florida actually comments on. He said that he's heard some scuttle about people and that he, he used the word, what the phrase, uh, what is there called liberty, like this new idea of liberty is being defined there. There mean Boston. You know, he he doesn't perceive himself and his colony to be joined at the hip with these other colonies just because they're British. In other words, you know, any more than than we perceive our history to be shared with Canada, um, because we do have some connections. But they, they didn't see it quite like that. But there was some discussion that that was taking place, and there was some awareness. These people are not living completely in a bubble. But um, as far as far as following the daily progress, you know that 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 was it was it was almost impossible to do. And most of the people who had come there, and the most people that are luring there, are, are being being brought there by these these big, huge land grants for almost nothing. So this is a these are a lot of people who are looking to to uh, for an opportunity to better themselves. And here comes this brand new colony where I can get. 200, 300 acres, and the few little little uh, processing fees that I would have to pay because the land's almost free, um, even those are being delayed until I'm established. And so there's a lot of people who are not as well established elsewhere who see this as an opportunity. And that's going to be the colony's driving force as it goes. And, and it just so happened that once that word began to get out and they begin to get some traction on it, here comes the war. So, so again, it all comes back to the fact that these ideas had some merit and people were coming and they were pursuing the opportunities, but everything got really disrupted once the war started. So you have the, the war breakout and in 1781, they're overtaken by the Spanish. What happened to that point? After the Spanish took over? Yes. Um, yeah, well, the, um, the Spanish uh, solidified their control of the area. They garrisoned the troops, the, the positions where there had been British troops, and they actually try to maintain fortifications all the way up to that northern border that, that Great Britain had observed since 1764. I keep making reference to the fact it was 31st parallel, then they moved up. And so Spain thought we conquered it, 
we've got this place, we're going to hold on to it. But Spain was on the decline as a world power. The United States uh, signs the treaty establishing its independence, 1783. And in in the language, you can look at the original language. They referenced where the southern border of the new nation would be, which to them, they looked at the Treaty of 1763 that created West Florida probably not even aware of all that the British had done, but knew it was written in 31st parallels where they would be establishing water. So they just copied the language and Spain took exception and the people who stayed there. Um, and again, you're not seeing a huge, massive change of population. Most of these people are not leaving or, or, or going because Spain took over. They, they had lived through the French taking over, and, and it was not an uncommon thing for a different colonial power to own some of the areas you are you're at. So this is you don't have this widespread, um, you know, um, exodus out of the colony. A lot of these people just became Spanish citizens, and so while they're trying to adjust to that and continuing to make their own way, um, the United States says we want the thirty first parallel to be the border. Spain says no, we we want to keep it north, and they. They, it was a sticking point in international relations for a few years, but the new United States had a lot of bigger fish to fry than that that territorial border issue. When they finally got around to it, they pressured Spain into signing the um, the uh, uh, treaty uh, of, in 1795 that would uh, the called Pinckney's Treaty that would formally acknowledge that they needed to move everything south to the 31st parallel. And it took them another two and a half years to actually do it. So they were in no hurry. But um, so, so basically you've got Spain trying to spread itself very thin to control the borders of this huge new colony it got and, and, and at a loss to do so because Spain had its own problems as a colonial power. And as every year went on, Spain was growing weaker. The United States is growing stronger. And there's there's everybody can see there's there's ultimately going to be some sort of clash. And so Spain, rather than trying to fight, just just voluntarily, they agreed and moved everything south and just hoped that they could establish a buffer that would prevent the United States from taking over that colony. And of course, that's exactly what happened. It took 20 years. So what's the legacy of this colony? Well, to me, the legacy, um, as as someone who lives on the Gulf Coast, is that this is our story of our connection with America's founding era. It's not the same story as Paul Revere's ride. Um, It's not the same story as Bunker Hill and Yorktown. But what happened here had consequence uh, in the American Revolution. It played a role, and it, it, it definitely formed our own history and and developed our course of of the path that we were going to take and influenced it. And so when you put it all together, the fact is the the revolution took place across the continent. Every place that's here had whatever was going on uh, in its, in its time period. And that's its connection to this story. That's much, much broader than 13 seaboard colonies. And that's the little part that we played. And that that's a, pivotal formative era for this for, for where where the Gulf Coast is today for several southern states. So I, I always pitch it that you know the, the, this the founding era don't feel like the Gulf Coast isn't a part of that and can't be a part of of, of celebrating that history because Washington's army wasn't here. There was a lot more going on on the continent 
maybe at all wasn't quite as pivotal as Valley Forge, but but it was nonetheless important, and that that's our local chapter, and I think it's important to study it and to to, to understand it. It's intriguing, and, and it's it's uh, it played an important role in our development. What was the one most surprising thing you learned researching this colony? I would I would say that going in. I, if you had asked me before I began serious research, and I, I knew there was a British West Florida, but I would probably say that I would not have, have been able to elaborate um, just how seriously the British made an effort to to develop a colony. Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't even know if I would have thought in those terms, but this was not just a, a straggling outpost that they allowed to straggle. They, they they suck a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of effort to create a government, to to find ways to get people here, to provide them with ways to make a living. Um, th- this was the concerted effort, and and that probably to me is one of the things that I found most enlightening is that this this is a hundred percent as legitimate um, and, and as cared about as co- a colony as any of the other British possessions. But sometimes we forget about that because of the length of time it existed before the war hit and changed everything. But this is a story of a colony that was in, in, in development and was on an arc to be a successful, thriving place. And of course, look at us now. Look, look at the Gulf Coast now. It, this is pretty, pretty vibrant part of America. And had it been allowed a century to develop, before the American Revolution, it may have been a much more major player. I don't know, but but I do know it would have been much more developed. So I think that the effort the British put into it was one of the things that I found most enlightening. We'll blame the Brits for that, or the Spanish. We can blame someone. Um, okay, what's the one question that you wish that you could have gotten an answer to that you just couldn't figure it out? So you looked into it and like, oh man, I really wish I knew the answer to this question. Um. There's a lot of things about daily life that I wish I had more information on. Um, how how people lived, what 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 their their homes were like. We we got we got got some information on it. It's not like we're devoid of information on that. But to fully understand what daily life was for some of these isolated, out of the way settlements that we were average farmer that you probably has no written records, very little. Um, you know, evidence in, in, in any official documents other than that maybe they took a land grant. But but the details of daily life that we know so much about in other eras. You know, we, we know about the soldiers in the Civil War. You've got just a avalanche of letters that you can understand what they were thinking, feeling, how they were living. We don't have as much for West Florida by far. And the few accounts that we have with people making immigration or, or to the area or trying to live or trying to serve in the military are just precious because we just don't have enough of most people. And I would like to know more about that daily life uh, myself. Okay. Last question for you. Was there a point you, you said that they were kind of, um, I don't want to say conformist, but they were kind of just live and let live or wanted to status stuff. Was there ever a point that you felt like they may have had regrets? Like, oh, maybe we should have just held our ground sooner. Or did they kind of, just, as it went along, they, they're they kind of, okay, listen, it's a tough go. As long as we're, we're able to provide for our families, we're okay. 
the only point that I could say they probably some of them may have had some some second thoughts is in the preparation for assault by the Spanish, uh, which which looking at you know in any military campaign you you tend to look at it historically as almost an ine- inevitability that that you know what happened and so you know leading up to it that that you should have recognized this was going to happen, but the British seem to be at a loss in order to how to counter it, how to deal with it. And if they ever wanted to make any serious defense of the colony, um, they, they, they missed their opportunities, frankly. Uh, Spain got the jump on them with better plans, uh, more forces, uh, a clearer sense of what they wanted to accomplish. And they were on their their, their heels the entire campaign, and they lost every battle. <laughs> and so um, I think that the second guessing would be um, after they had sunk all the effort into establishing it, they probably, in hindsight, wish they could have sent more resources to protect it. But then again, remember, that would have required pulling resources away from the armies that are facing George Washington and Green and all these other characters. So it's hard to see that they could have done much different. But they did send troops and they did try. It was just a little too little, a little too late. Okay, Mike, we will link to the book. We'll also link, link to your website. Anywhere else you want to send people to? Uh, just send to mikebun.net and um, they can learn about the book, other writings that I'm doing, other projects I'm involved in, all in that one place. Appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Hey, you made it to the end of this episode. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to ask a favor. If you enjoyed it, would you drop a five star somewhere? And if you really enjoyed it, would you consider becoming a subscribing member over at War 